From Loyola University Chicago School of Law and WLUW, this is the Podvocate. We're law students exploring the vanguard of the legal world with experts from our backyard and beyond. Today, we will be talking in depth about what 1L students should expect in their legal writing course. Subscribe to the Podvocate wherever you get your podcasts and join us every Saturday evening at 6 on WLUW 88.7 Chicago. For more information about this episode and our guests, please visit our website at thepodvocate.com and check out our social media pages. Hi listeners, my name is Christy Paredes and I'm joined today by one of Loyola's first year legal writing professors. Professor Butler, welcome to The Podvocate. Can you tell us a little bit about your course? Thanks. Yeah, so first year legal writing, it's actually a three semester course. Um, So legal writing one is in the fall of your first year. Legal writing two is in the spring of your first year. And then legal writing three is in the fall of your second year um, of law school. So I teach legal writing one and two. It's a skills-based course um, and it's meant to teach the fundamental skills of legal writing. And along with that, um, analyzing cases, learning how to brief cases, learning how to synthesize, um, you know, case law, and then applying it to another set of facts to come up to predictive outcomes. That's legal writing one in the fall. And then spring, we pivot to persuasive writing. So we're writing trial briefs and doing oral arguments. And how would you say that legal writing is different from other 1L classes? Um, so the reason I think legal writing is such a fun class to teach is because it's the only skills course that first year law students take. Um, so you're learning how to actually function as a lawyer, along with the skills of analyzing and, um, you know, synthesizing and that sort of thing. Um, So it's different in that you're really actively doing, right? So you're writing documents as you go throughout the semester. I think you start writing about like the third week of class and then throughout the rest of the semester, most weeks you're turning in um, some assignment and then your legal writing professor is giving you feedback, you know, usually like a a week later or so you're getting a bunch of feedback. And so you're in class, um, having class discussions and, you know, going through different problems, but then you also have that back and forth dialogue between, you know, writing, getting feedback, revising, getting more feedback, revising. So it's cool because there's sort of two layers of learning that go on throughout the semester. How is legal writing different from other kinds of writing in general? Yeah. So um, it's legal writing is particularly formulaic. So it's kind of like learning a different language at first. And there is legal writing jargon, um, you know, so there's names for certain paragraphs, um, you know, so there's like your umbrella paragraph where you're giving the reader the background context. And sometimes I think the jargon gets in the way a little bit because, you know, you don't know what an umbrella is, but it's also really useful because then you have a word to talk about this one paragraph that gives the reader background context to understand why you're even doing the analysis you're doing um, in that area of law. It's different in that way that, you know, there's a there's a pretty strict formula and you really can't stray from it. So some students um, initially, you know, feel like they want to like change things up because they don't want it to be too boring or repetitive. But a lot of times the repetition is really helpful because if you're trying to explain a really complex area of law to a person who's unfamiliar with it, having that formula or repetition can really help 
the reader, you know, be able to absorb that sort of high level analysis. Another big difference is in terms of organization. So in it helps really in all forms of communication, but particularly in legal writing, there's this huge focus on moving from broad to specific ideas. So within the whole document, broad to specific, within each paragraph, broad to specific. And that's new for a lot of people, um, particularly people who've done a lot of writing in undergrad have a tendency to end a paragraph with their main point or want to sum things up in the last sentence of a paragraph. And so in legal writing, it's really helpful to start with your broad main point, move that to the top of the paragraph, and then work down through the details because it lets the reader know where you're going and then sort of walks them along through your analysis. And then, like I said, it's just different because there are these very specific um, expectations of what comes in a legal memo and there's jargon to describe those. And so that, you know, that's sort of a new concept for most students. And I think that speaks to one of the biggest struggles students have when they first take legal writing which is learning how to apply these new concepts you just mentioned within the time constraints provided. I know in my case, when I first started, I was overwhelmed with where to even begin. And it was simple things like, how well do I need to know the facts before I start researching? How do you suggest students approach their assignments? Yeah, um, so I think, you know, first, like what you mentioned, when you are doing... um, you know, legal research, making sure that you have really engaged with the facts is really, really important to make sure you understand it. So you could read, you know, you could read a deposition and glean the facts that you need from that deposition. But then, like I said, the engagement is important. So just initially asking yourself, which way do do I think this case is going to come out before I've even researched it at all, right? And that's not going to be your actual answer. You have to do the research eventually, but, but that's the way you kind of engage with it to say like, what's sticking out to me here? What facts do I think are important before I jump into the research? Um, Cause that gives you a better handle on the facts and what's happening. And then once you've done that, um, you know, I think I think creating really, um, particularly in terms of researching, creating really good research habits is really really important. So, um, you know, making sure that when you're when you're trying to research an area of law, you're using multiple search terms, right? So you're not like creating some good search terms and then stopping there and saying like, well, that's all the cases I found, right? You're saying now I got to go back and do it a second round with different search terms and see if I found something, you know, that I missed. Um, And then when it comes to actually writing, I think, you know, like I said before, because it's formulaic, sticking with the formula is really important, especially when you're first getting started it's not always completely clear where you're going with all the pieces. So just sort of like sticking with the formula until you've put the whole, because we write it, we write um, legal memos and building blocks in the course initially. So sticking with um, the formula and then waiting to see how it all comes together. That goes really, really far. And then the last thing I think is just sort of trying to always be thinking about your audience when you're writing or communicating in any form, right? You're always thinking about who your audience is um, and, you know, how can I give my readers some predictability? Where can I meet my readers' expectations? Where can I make sure my reader isn't going to have a question that I can, you know, just directly address by changing around a sentence to be more clear or something like that? And how do you know when you've researched enough? Yeah, I think that is the hardest question 
I, you never know. And it's, that is something that is so uncomfortable and there's just no way you can't prove the negative, right? That there, you can't prove there's no more cases out there that, you know, you might've missed. And that is terrifying. Um, Cause there's, you know, you can make sure you're using good law, right? You can look up a case history. You can make sure, you know, your cases are in point, but you just never know, is there something out there you might've missed? So the rule of thumb, um, that I use is if you've gone around in the same circle three times, then you can call it. So, you know, that means like you've, you've come up with search terms, like I said, then you've tried alternative search terms and you just keep coming on the same cases over and over and over and over. So you go in that full circle and then you do that three more times where you just are like, I've tried everything. I'm just coming up with the same cases over and over and over each time I go through this. The third time, that's when I call it and say, like, if there's something else out there, I can't find it. I, I won't. I'm not going to find it. I've, you know, I've exhausted it. Um, but it is it is an annoying feeling because you're just like, but it could be out there. And, you know, at some point you do just have to call it. Do you have any advice on time management? Mm. That's another challenge of law school in general and also legal writing um, because it is a different um, format than most of the rest of the 1L classes. It has different time management requirements because like I said, you are most weeks writing. You have to build that into your schedule because you're spending so much time in your first year trying to keep up with your readings for class. And there's much less reading required for a legal writing class, um, but you are writing. So I know when I was in law school, the way I managed it was I had a certain time, I think it was like Friday mornings was like the time that I had dedicated to working on legal writing assignments, like my first stab. And then I set up two separate times throughout the week on a different days um, for proofreading and editing and revising and that sort of thing. Um, and I think that makes a huge difference because there's no substitute for letting things kind of marinate in your brain a little bit when you're trying to analyze case law in particular and proofreading and editing always takes longer than you think it's going to. If you have that, the like chunks of time set aside that are separate, it gives some time for that to kind of just sit so that when you pick it back up and come back to it, you might be, you might just have a little bit of a different perspective or, you know, just be fresh. And so you're not so sick of reading the same words you've written. Um, Cause it's hard. It's hard to read your own work and change it. And, you know, especially when you need to take out words. I think I find it particularly painful to erase the words that I've written because I must have thought they were a good idea at some point, you know, so if I have some time away from it, it's a little easier for me to adjust it. And I always appreciated you telling us to have patience with ourselves as we learned what methods worked for us individually. Yes, right. And everyone's a little different about the way that they write. So some people like to put a ton of time in the front thinking and planning and outlining um, and then write. And then sometimes if you do it that way, maybe it's going to take less time on the back end. Other people use writing more as like an analytical tool. So they just want to get it out on paper and then go work backwards almost, you know, and spend a ton of time revising, editing, and making changes. What are some common mistakes that students make? I think, you know, small scale mistakes, like the most common one is definitely wordiness, right? So just 
anywhere, the less words you use, the more power each one of those words has. And that's the reason it's so much of an issue in legal writing is that you're trying to be as clear and direct as you possibly can. So just, you know, if you can, if you can take a three word phrase and cut it down to two, that's better. So, you know, using too many words, um, not writing in an active voice, I think is one of the most common issues. Um, and again, the problem with not writing in an active voice, it's writing in a passive voice or using nominalizations is that it's not always completely clear who you're talking about. So, you know, it's, it's always, it's really important to be specific about who's doing an action. So if you say something passively was done to someone else, it, that's, you know, can get lost in translation sometimes. And then the third kind of small scale issue is, you know, trying to sound fancy by using legalese. Um, so again, you know, legal writing is really about being clear, direct, simple, because the concepts you're trying to communicate are really complex. So if you can use simple, clear language, it makes them those easier. Large scale, I think, you know, the biggest large scale issue that students have is that they just want to say everything at once. And so usually that just is a matter of you know, once you understand kind of the purpose of each of the sections of a memo, it's easier to let go of that. But in the beginning, you know, people just kind of want to say, like, here's my like they want to they want to just, you know, give their conclusion. Um, and it takes some time because first you've got to, you know, understand the cases and explain the cases to the reader and that kind of thing. Do you have any advice on editing? So editing yeah. So like I said, I think, you know, the first big piece of advice on editing is leaving yourself enough time because it is really time consuming. Um, I think the um, tra the traditional idea of like proofreading, I think, doesn't work very well in legal writing. So if you just pull up an assignment on your computer and try to read through it from start to finish, usually it's like you can't even make it halfway because you're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds good. I wrote this. I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that's usually not very efficient or effective. Um, my favorite trick for proofreading um, my own work uh, in particular, but anyone's work is um, to read sentences backwards. So um, it's not, it, it takes, it does take a lot of time. So you usually can't do it like through a whole 15 page memo. But if there's a, if there's a particular area of the memo that you felt a little foggy on, like you knew when you were writing it, you didn't exactly know what you were saying, that's likely going to be the place that you're going to need extra editing. So you could start, you know, if you pick a paragraph and read the last sentence first, and then the second to last sentence, and then the third to last sentence, it forces you to, you know, not be relying on, you know, sentence after sentence to make sense. So it makes you check, you know, is each sentence standing on its own? Um, and then you also just catch, you know, typos and, you know, misspelled words, you know, especially the words that are spelled correctly, but it's just the wrong word, you know, that spell check won't catch. Um, so that's really helpful. I also think there's um, no substitute for printing out your work. It's not the most green thing in the world, but it makes a big difference to read words printed on paper compared to reading them on a computer screen. I think it's easier to just skip forward on a computer screen. Oh, and actually, wait, the last one I really like too is um, cutting and pasting specific paragraphs into a separate document if you are going to do it on your computer. Um, so just saying like, I need to, I want to just focus on, you know, this one paragraph, or I want to just focus on editing my thesis sentences and cutting and pasting them into a separate document. So you kind of treat them as their own. 
I also remember you had suggested that we read our papers out loud. Yeah, that's a really good one. Yeah, reading the whole thing out loud, especially if you're going to just, if you need to just do a top to bottom, um, that's probably the most time efficient way to proofread from top to bottom. Yeah. We've mostly focused on what students should expect when getting started in their first semester. I would like you to speak a little bit about the second semester of legal writing and particularly the oral argument. What is it and how can students prepare for it? Yeah, that's a great question. And when you, um, so when you get to second semester, um, we pivot to persuasive writing. So you're writing a trial brief and then you're performing an oral argument based on the, the problem from the trial brief. Um, and so initially students sort of think they're going to write this brief and then like present the brief as their oral argument. That's not really how it works. An oral argument is really a place um, for judges to ask questions and clarify points uh, or underline points uh, from your trial brief. And so, um, so I think, you know, the main idea of your trial brief is you are trying to highlight your most important points, but then also just make yourself available for judges to let you know what points they're stuck on or are most interested in, and then answer their questions. Um, and you having a chance to do that face-to-face -face is so effective um, because even if you have addressed something in your trial brief some point, you can really bring out the humanness in a lot of your argument when you're talking to a judge face-to-face. -face. One last question. What do you hope students take away from your course? The most important thing I hope they take away is uh, that they're able to sort of change their writing habits. So, for example, you know, always writing an active voice or catching whatever sort of bad ha writing habits they have and fixing that, because that's going to come across then in the rest of their professional career in every email they write, right, every memo they write, every trial brief they write. Um, and they won't have to spend time focusing on that once they're practicing um, so that, you know, habits are really, really important when you're in law school so that you can just establish them and then not have to think about them so much. I think learning to be clear and direct in their points, but to do that, you have to really know what you're talking about. Um, so the background to that then is learning how to, how to read cases, how to read between the lines of cases a little bit to figure out what is the court really saying here and how are they really reaching that opinion? Um, you know, wh why, why are they saying? And then what can I piece together from the facts that they've presented um, to come up with that? Um, and then, like I said, then taking that a step further to write it in a really clear, direct way. And then the third big thing is learning how to apply facts from a case, you know, and, and the law from a case to another set of facts so that either you can be persuasive about it if you're writing, you know, a brief or something like that, or to be objective and come to a predictive outcome about how a case is likely to come out based on, you know, precedent. Great. Thank you so much, Professor Butler. Yeah, thank you. That's all from us here at The Podvocate. Thanks for joining us today. Our team wants to hear from you. If there's a topic you want the show to cover, please email us at thepodvocate at gmail.com. Visit our website at thepodvocate.com for more information on this episode and our guests. The Podvocate is produced by WLUW, the student-run independent radio station broadcasting from the School of Communications at Loyola University, Chicago. Our senior editors are Olivia Ashe, 
Emmett Harrington, and Lenny Reinhardt. Our associate editors are Christy Paredes and Marissa Polowitz. Our editor-in-chief is Leanne Josand. Special thanks to Professor John Dane for providing the resources and support to make this show possible. From Loyola University Chicago School of Law, this has been The Podvigate.